your Bible with me this time to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2 today as we continue our study through Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, the sermon title is Commitment to Excellence. My favorite football team and pro football team is the Oakland Raiders. And uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. First of all, they've got a cool name. You know, we share the same name. Uh, it's spelled a little bit different, but, you know, it's still, still a cool name. Uh, they've got the coolest uniforms in the league, the silver and black. Uh, I think hands down you can't, uh, you can't come close to that. And Several years ago, their late owner, Al Davis, came up with this motto, Commitment to Excellence. Uh, as a uh, summary of, of what their organization stands for. And the problem is, over the last decade or so, uh, they haven't had a winning record. And that slogan, commitment to excellence, has been just lip service uh, as an explanation or a description of their program. For a lot of Christians, I think, as you consider your spiritual life, commitment to excellence, unfortunately, is mere lip service when we think about our devotion to God and our commitment to live a life that pleases Him. In fact, Paul tells the Thessalonians here in this part of his letter that our commitment is legit when it flows from our desire to please the Lord. In fact, I pray that your affection for God will motivate you to increased levels of holiness in your life. If you strive to live a holy life, I pray that that desire flows from and is rooted in your affection to God. Let that be the source and let that be the motivation. Your affection for God, your love for the Lord, may that be the grounds to motivate you to increased holiness in your life. I want to ask you to stand as we read from the Holy Word of God this morning, if you are able. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 1, Paul writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are actually doing, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you at this time in all of you, Father, in, in all of what you have done for us in Christ. I pray that our hearts are stirred with an affection for you, with a love for you and a desire for you. And I pray that that love and that desire would lead us to commit ourselves to excellence in our spiritual life. Father, it would go beyond just lip service of saying, yes, I give God my all. And I pray, Father, the reality is that we would be so moved over who you are and what you've done for us that we would desire nothing else than obedience to your word. Father, as we open your word today, I pray, God, you would open our hearts. 
If there is anyone here that has never professed Christ, anyone who has never surrendered their lives to Jesus, anyone who has not been born again by your grace, I pray your Holy Spirit moves. And I pray for the appropriate response. And Lord, we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we've been working our way through this letter, we've come to the point where Paul begins to shift from encouragement to exhortation. Our sermon series has been entitled Encouraging Excellence. And he has been encouraging them based upon their past relationship, of his time there with them and what God has already done. And so he shifts from talking about what had happened in the past to how they ought to live in light of that now here in the present and going forward. What are they going to do? How are they going to apply this new spiritual life that they have found themselves in through receiving the gospel? We finished at the end of chapter 3 there in the context of prayer. Paul was praying for their spiritual growth. In verse 11 he says, May God our Father himself and the Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And that was to complete what was lacking, verse 10, in their faith. Verse 12 he says, We pray the Lord would cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we do for you. In verse 13, So that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Now all those themes that he was just praying for, they translate over into the rest of this letter. As he was praying for their growth in, in, in faith, their growth, growth in, in love, their growth in hope, that they would be established without blame and holiness and this theme of the second coming of Christ, may, may His return motivate them to grow. And then we come to chapter 4, verse 1, and Paul says, finally then. Now finally there doesn't mean that this is the last thing he's going to say. It's, a, it's like when a, when a Baptist preacher says, now in conclusion, you know, you're, you're, you're nowhere near the end yet. There's still stuff to come. And, Paul says, finally, that, that's to, to demonstrate there is a shift in, in his theme. There is a, a shift in, in what, he is, what he is saying to them, communicating to them. And remember, these chapter divisions weren't in the original letter. Paul didn't say, okay, I'm going to finish chapter 3. Now I'm going to start chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what I want to say. Now, those were added for our benefit so that we can study it more effectively. But what he was just saying in that prayer translates into the context of what he's going to say in the rest of his letter. He is going to address some issues of what it means to practically grow in holiness. What it means to, to grow in, in, in blamelessness before God in our faith, our hope, and our love. And before he gets into those specifics, he, he speaks about general, generally growing in our faith and these verses call us to excel in our spiritual growth and following this he'll get into more specifics but as for right now generally speaking he is telling them excel excel still more and if we're going to do that we we draw from this text here and we understand that we need to excel still more first of all by his grace we need help in this 
You can't just say, okay, I'm going to excel still more in my faith and in my spiritual growth, and I'm just going to do this on my own. I'm just going to, I'm going to try harder to be more holy. It doesn't work that way. We need His grace for that to happen. We see Paul demonstrate this in verse 1. First of all, through a, a personal affirmation, he says, Finally then, brethren, We've already said before it's one of his favorite terms for addressing the folks in this church. It's a, it's a family term. It's, it's, a, it's a, a term of endearment, a, a, a term of fellowship. Paul says we are family. And so he's writing them to remind them of that. They are brothers in Christ. He gives a pastoral appeal. He says we request and exhort you. Request and exhort. He uses those two words together, and, and, and it's, it's like he is making an appeal. He really is asking for them. We want you. We want you to do this. And the two words together, I think, are added emphasis. We request and exhort you. We see Paul's love for them. Paul wants what's best for them. He loves them enough. to see, he, he desires to see them move in the right direction. And as a pastor, I, I tell you, it hurts when you see one of the members of your flock moving in a direction that they should not be moving in. And you desire better for them than that. And, and you can see Paul saying to this church, you, you're doing well, but, but I want more for you. I don't want you to just settle with where you're at. I desire more for you. And we see his pastoral tone. He, he's not beating them up and beating them down. You know, we, we, we come to church and we hear the sermon and, and we can expect or, or, or should come to expect our toes to be stepped on, but we don't need to leave with black eyes and fat lips too. But that's what you get in a lot of churches. You get a lot of, pe- a lot of preachers beating down their church Say, I wouldn't give a nickel for the whole lot of you. You're a bunch of worthless, no good church members. But we don't see Paul doing that. Paul says, we request and exhort you. We see a pastoral appeal. He loves them enough, but he wants to see them grow. We see a powerful assurance also in his words. He says, finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. Now, we've got to make some sort of uh, attempt to hear of interpretation. That phrase, in the Lord Jesus, what's that modifying in what Paul says? Is it going with the verbs, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus? That, that seems to be what he's saying is authoritative. Our, our request and our exhortation is in Christ. It seems to give a little bit of authority to what he's saying. Or is the subject, or what he's modifying there in the Lord Jesus, is that we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. You see, one way perhaps is more authoritative, and the other way more of an affirmation. And I'm of the belief that it, why can't it mean both? Because obviously what he's saying in verse 2 we see is authoritative. But perhaps he's also reminding them of their spiritual condition in Christ. He's already pointed out to them several places. They're in Christ. He calls them brethren. You and I are one family in Christ. And so I think he is reminding them of their spiritual reality. Because you are in Christ, 
this is possible. And there's where the grace component comes in. Because Paul is telling them it is through Christ and Him alone, it is the only way a spiritual and lifestyle change is possible. The only way you're going to grow in your, in your faith the only way you're going to increase in your love for one another and for the lost, the only way you're going to grow in, in, in righteousness and holiness, the only way that's going to happen is because you're in Christ, because you have been made alive in Christ, because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And we're going to get to that next week in verse 8. Paul talks about the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The only way you're going to excel still more is by His grace in Christ Jesus. Now, earlier this summer, Nancy and I went to, uh, I believe it was Myers, and went to the uh, lawn and garden section, and they, and they mark stuff down, as, as a lot of places will do, uh, because it just looks like what's there is not going to make it much longer, and we found a rose bush that was there. I think it was like 75% off or 90% off or whatever. It was on its last leg, and so, hey, why not? It, it's Seems like a good deal, so we went and we bought this rose bush and we planted this rose bush, and now we're just going to wait and see is this thing going to live or not? Is this thing going to grow? Because guess what? If, if it's alive, it's going to grow. But if it's not alive, it's not going to grow. It can't grow spiritually. If you are not in Christ, you're not going to grow spiritually. You can't grow spiritually. If you are not in Christ, you are dead. But if you are in Christ, you have been made alive by Christ. And it is possible by His grace for you to grow. Excel still more by His grace. You are dependent upon Him. It's not just do better, do better, do better. It's, I need Jesus. If I'm going to do any better, I, I need grace to make me better. Excel still more by His grace, but also excel still more for His glory. What is our motive to strive for holiness? Are we saying, I'm going to try to be more holy in my life because I want more from God? Are we saying that, well, God owes me because I'm going to increase my commitment to Him, therefore God is going to increase what He's going to do in my life. Is that your motive? Or is your motive beyond what you're going to get out of it, and is your motive to give Him the glory? Because if it's only by His grace, it can only be for His glory and not our own. We see Paul talking about this in verse 1. We see our pleasurable ambition. He says, We request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that just as you received from us instruction, and that, that has the, uh, the connotation there of, of a tradition that's been passed down, a, a spiritual tradition that's been given and received, as you received this from us as to how you ought to walk and please God. How you ought to walk. It's, it's referring to your, your spiritual life, your, your lifestyle, how you live out your faith. Paul says, You've been, you receive from us instruction how you ought to walk and please God. 
And the word there he uses is ought and how you must. It's a very strong word. Paul says, you cannot please God unless you walk this way. You receive from us the instruction. We've already told you what you need to do to live a holy lifestyle and please God. And it, and it could really be read here how you ought to, how you need to live to please God. If you want to please God, you've got to live this way. You can't please God if you don't. And so here we see Paul talking about our ambition here is our desire to please Him. To, the desire to, to please Him more than others, more than ourselves, our, our, our root ambition, our express purpose for living is to please God so that God would be blessed. And that's the foundation of all he's about to say here in the rest of the letter that all, all of our, our ethical choices are grounded in, rooted in this desire to please God. Because if that's not there, if there's no desire to please God in your life, then it's going to be impossible for you to walk in the manner that He has called you to walk in. If your desire is for your own ambitions, if your desire is to please everybody else but God, you're not going to live the life that you're called to live. The focus needs to be on Him. And that's also the important thing here. You receive from us the instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God. Pleasing God. It's not about following rules. It's not about putting the focus, well, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this. No. The focus is not on the rules. The focus is not on the law. The focus is on the lawgiver. And if your focus is on the lawgiver, it's going to be a whole lot easier to follow those laws. If you, fo if you focus on, 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 on the one, you focus on the master and your desires to please Him, everything else will just naturally flow from that. It's not going to be as difficult because your desire is for Him, to please Him. And notice He says to walk and please. Present tense. An ongoing lifestyle of walking an ongoing lifestyle of desiring to please God. It's not just a one-time event. Well, I, I walked in a way that pleased God once. I'm good. Or, or my ambition was to please Him before, and, and, I've already, and I've already done that, so now I'm good to go. No, it's an ongoing desire, an ongoing ambition. I want to please God. Not for what I get out of it, but to give Him the glory. Then Paul, as a pastor here, also gives a positive acknowledgement in this verse. He says, You receive from us the instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do walk. Paul says, You're already doing it. And I recognize that. And I commend you for that. I acknowledge that. Paul, it's almost as Paul is saying, I'm, I'm proud of you. You receive the instruction and you're walking in it. You're pleasing God. 
And I recognize that. Paul is, is, is not beating them up for a failure to walk and please God. Paul is, is not demeaning them for their current strides. He says, I recognize what you're doing. And I acknowledge that. And, and as a believer, I, I believe we can draw confidence from that. When we continue to advance in our, in our spiritual condition, and that becomes evident to those around us, and they begin to see strides in our growth, I think that helps. I think we ought to be encouraging one another. As we, as we look around this congregation and you see someone stepping out in faith and you, and you see them growing in, in Christ-likeness, acknowledge them for that. Affir- affirm that. Because what that will do, that will encourage them. And, and Paul, I said he's, he's shifting gears from primarily encouragement to exhortation, but he, he never fails to ground that exhortation in that encouragement. He says, I recognize you're you're walking and pleasing God. You're already doing that. I commend you for that. A positive acknowledgement. But the fact that they're already walking doesn't mean he can't challenge them to do more. And that's what he does here. He talks about our progressive advancement in verse 1. He says, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more there's more to grow there is more affection for God there's more pleasing God to be done he talks about walk and a walk and automatically that word walk there means what you're moving you're not standing still you're not falling down you're, you're walking. You're making some sort of advance. You're, you're, you're growing. He says, uh, he says oh, we recognize that you actually do walk. You're making advancements, but I want you to, to do that even more. And he uses the word excel still more. Or to do so more and more. And in that, he's talking about a, a greater degree, abounding more. Abounding more in what you're already doing. There, there's progress, spiritual progress. You're not content to just stay or to retreat. You're advancing. But notice he says here, you excel still more. Okay, Paul, in what? Excel still more. And he, and he leaves it open-ended. Okay, excel still more in, in what? And I think he is leaving it open-ended intentionally at this point. It's a general statement that it's, it's all-encompassing. Excel still more just in all things. In your walk with God, your faith, your love, your hope, holiness. Excel still more intentionally. His desire is he's going to address some specifics in the next few verses, but for the now, he, he grounds it all in this general idea of please God and excel still more. But there is more growth to be had, and there is more to do. And like any good leader, Paul doesn't ask his, his followers to do something he himself is not willing to do. Paul says, I want you to excel still more, but understand this, I have the same desire for myself. 
book of Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, I forget what's behind me and I move ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I haven't attained it yet. I'm not there yet. I want you to grow just as much as, as I am growing too. And I want that for you. I want that for me. I want you to want that for yourselves. I want you to want that for me also. Excel still more. I expressed to you all at the beginning of this series that as I read this letter, it, it so spoke to me about where we are as a congregation. Paul says, I gave you the instruction, you received it, and you're actually walking in it. I said, man, you know, I can see that. I can look around this room and I, and I see fellow brethren, brothers and sisters, walking in the way they ought to in pleasing God. But I don't want us to get content. I don't want us to get complacent. I don't want us to, to just stop and, and hit pause or hit cruise control I want us to advance I want to advance myself and I know it's hard and I know it's a struggle sometimes but if our desire is to please God everything else will take care of itself not just following rules and, and following regulations and, and doing this but no pleasing God I just want to please God he will take that ambition, He will take that desire, and He will make you what He wants you to be. Excel still more by His grace, for His glory. And finally, excel still more by His guidance. What source of direction do we have in this? He tells us to walk. Well, how am I supposed to walk? Where am I supposed to walk to? Where am I headed? Paul tells them our source of direction on how to please him is first of all his scriptural assistance. He says in verse 2, 4. In other words, what he just said, you receive the instruction as how you ought to walk and, and I want you to excel still more. He says, for you know what commandments we gave you. Paul already gave them everything they needed to know to walk and please God. I, I've laid it out for you already. And I've already told you before, it's a walk, it's, it's a process of growth, it's a process of advancing and of excelling still more and more and more. Paul says, for you, you know this already. You know, you, you were there. I taught you those things. I laid it out for you. And you know firsthand by experience from our time together already, you know this. You know what commandments we gave you. The word commandment there, it's a very strong term. It's a, it, it's a military term. It's used for a commanding officer giving to a subordinate. And Paul says, you know what commandments we gave to you. Paul was saying, as an apostle, I was the agent by which God gave you this commandment. So we gave it to you. We told you everything God and His authority wanted to tell you. And we say, wow, that, that was great for that church that Paul was there in the flesh and he could teach them and he could relay as an apostle, uh, an authority. He could tell them, this is what God wants you to do to walk and to please Him. 
Wouldn't it be great if we had Paul right here, right now, telling us in an authoritative way what God expects of us? You know what? We do. We do. We've got it right here. You're holding it in your hand, in your laps. It's sitting right there in front of you. You've got this authoritative scriptural word, this assistance from God. He spells it out for us. That church, they needed Paul in the flesh to tell them that because they didn't have it anywhere else. But I believe we benefit even more so because we've got this completed word. We've got it written down in black and white. We even have it on our, our cell phones, our iPads, whatever. We've got it. It's completed. Everything you need to know to walk and please God. We've got it in the Word. And Paul says, you know what commandments we gave you. We know too. We know too because it's right here. It's right in front of us. So it's not a question of, of ignorance, uh, of saying, oh, I don't know what God demands of me. Yeah, we've got it spelled out for us, scriptural assistance. But also we see his sovereign authority in this. He says, you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus, or literally through the Lord Jesus. Paul is saying we were the conduit, we were the agents by which Christ himself in his authority declared to you and commanded you. The authority, his sovereign authority, what Paul said to that church carried Jesus' authority. And therefore, if this is the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul, as Paul spoke to them, and Paul's words carried the Lord's authority, so does this book. So does this word. If Paul spoke to them through the Lord Jesus, so does this. It speaks to us through the authority of the Lord Jesus. And if it is His authority, first of all, we need to submit. Our submission is demanded. If it's an authoritative Word of God, then the Bible is God's authority. You and I are called to surrender and obey His Word. We are subjects of the King, and this is the decrees of the King. Our submission is mandated from His Word. Our salvation is rooted in His Word. Jesus is the master of our salvation. And the only way you and I are saved is by surrendering. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. We can't be saved without the message and the truth and the Word of God. But this Word is also authoritative in our sanctification. Sanctification is a word that means growth. It's a, it's a process of being molded into Christ's image. And we see that in verse 3. We're going to get at it next week. He says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. God wants you to grow. God wants you to excel still more. It's God's will for you not to excel still more. You are disobeying the will of God. That's called what? Sin. A failure to walk and excel still more rooted in a desire to please God is sin. This is the will of God for you. Your sanctification, living out your faith, your beliefs in a tangible, concrete, everyday way. And that's what we're going to get into starting next week. We're going to start to see some specifics. 
Paul talks about God's will for us in our sex life. Talks about God's will for us in, in work and in relating to one another. He talks about death. It doesn't get any more real than those three things, does it? <laughs> Thinking about sex, work, and death. And Paul says God's desire is for your sanctification in all those areas of human existence. Your day-to-day routines, your moment-by-moment thoughts and actions, God's desire is for you to excel still more in holiness in those areas rooted in a desire to please Him. I want to please God. In the bedroom, I want to please God. In the workplace, I want to please God when I think about the afterlife. A desire to please Him. I heard a story this week about a young man who was running around with his buddies and they began to get into some mischief and he says, guys, that's not for me. I don't want to do that. His friends began to poke fun of him and said, you're just so scared of what your father is going to do to you if he finds out. The young man says, no, I'm not so scared of what my father is going to do to me. I'm scared of what it's going to do to my father if he finds out. You see, there's a difference there. Obeying God and walking in a way that God commands, there, there is an element of fear involved in that, a, 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 a degree of reverence and respect, and that's, that's appropriate. But I believe even more so that should be trumped by our desire to want to please Him. You know, as, as, a, as a son, one of the things that was so discouraging to me to find out that I disappointed my parents to have them say, you disappointed me by doing that. That hurt even deeper than any spanking ever could. And by the way, those did hurt too. I'm not denying the reality of that. But to know that I disappointed them, and I let them down, that hurt. And God saying through these words, You've received the instruction of how you ought to walk, how you need to behave and please God. You you know everything you need to know. It's rooted in this desire, this affection for the Lord because of who He is, what He's done for you. May your affection for God motivate you to increase levels of holiness in your life. And it boils down to this statement, find pleasure in pleasing God. If you could sum up the the Christian life in one statement, I believe that's it. Find pleasure in pleasing God. Don't worry so much about rules and regulations. Worry about how can I best please the Lord. And it's not about do better, do better, do better. It's about draw closer, draw closer, draw closer. Let's pray.